It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. Alrighty, what's going on? Welcome to the show. It is Friday, September 11th, and uh, thank you so much for uh, listening. I appreciate it, letting me be a part of your day. The show is made possible by patrons like Greg, Luella, Cheryl, Timbo, Richard, Bill, Bob, Robin, Andy, and John. Thanks so much for the support. I could not do the program without y'all. And if you'd like to become a patron of the program, you just simply head on over to thepetecalendershow.com. There is a link at the top, become a patron. There are also links in the description of the podcast, and you can click that and get cool stuff. You get exclusive content, like last night, for example, we did our, uh, our weekly live stream, the live stream of consciousness, we call it. <laughs> there are no rules, man. We, uh, we, yeah, we, we kind of go off the rails. Well, not kind of. We do. We go off the rails repeatedly in our live streams. Uh, that's how. And that was uh, that was the uh, the patrons determined the name of that, the live stream of consciousness. All right. So in Asheville, um, there was a series of demonstrations, just like many other cities across America, that began in late May after the death of George Floyd up in Minneapolis, and over the course of a week eight days or so, it got worse and worse and worse, more and more people and uh, more and more violent. Uh, The police reaction uh, grew more and more uh, stronger, I guess you'd say. Uh, They used, you know, munitions and such. And then it, it culminated in the destruction of what is called the medic tent. And This video went viral and people were outraged, demanding to know what happened. I think it's pretty obvious what happened. The cops went and busted up the medic tent. (laughs) But uh, because the city council is completely beholden to the left-wing radical mob in Asheville, as they are in a lot of cities, uh, they feel the need to placate this mob in the hope that it eats them last. So that's the process we're running through. And again, this is a similar process that you can expect to find in other cities that are controlled by and large by Democrats. And I'm sorry to make that a partisan thing, but it's true. You, you're you just not seeing these types of demonstrations and the kind of uh, violence and vandalism that uh, in Republican-run cities than that you're seeing in Democrat-run cities. Again, I apologize if that offends people. I said this a couple of weeks ago and uh, had a bunch of people jump on me saying, oh, I can't believe, you know, the, the Pete Callender of yesteryear would not have said that. Really? Because I think I would have. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I know myself. I would have said that if all of the cities were Republican-led that are all being torched. I think I might like find a common denominator. They're like, hey, wait a minute. Look at all these cities. They happen to be Republican-led, and they're getting set on fire. Man, I wonder if there's something there. I wonder if there's some connection. I think it's interesting also that simply pointing out that the cities that are facing a lot of these uh, problems, uh, when you simply point out, hey, look at that. They're Democrat-run cities. They control the policies. They control the police departments. Uh, and, And people think that you're making some sort of a partisan argument Rather than examining the truth of it, which that is the truth, but then to say, well, why are these locations having this? Like if there's a if there's a common thread there, maybe we should explore that. Right. But that's never the case. 
it's always an attack on the person who notices the similarity, not an examination of the similarity. So the city council issues this, um, well, they didn't issue the report. It came from the city attorney, a guy by the name of Brad Branham. And uh, he said that uh, we feel like we were able to paint a clear enough picture to show how decisions were made. We take absolutely no position on whether they uh, these actions were justified, whether they were sufficient, with whether they were within policy or otherwise, because that was simply beyond the scope of this particular request to report. OK, so this is a very limited look. And the reason why <laughs> we are here. which is absurd. The reason why we're here on this is because the city council initially uh, was, well, you know, they, they, they were pressured to investigate what, who, who made these decisions? How dare you deploy tear gas on me as I'm rioting down the interstate. Right. And so like they demanded the, the radical mob demanded that the city council investigate, but don't you investigate yourself. So the city council is like, Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry, we won't investigate ourselves. So they were like, well, we'll go in, we'll get an outside firm. So then they went out, they went, they solicited bids, they found a firm, and they were like, it's going to cost like 80-something thousand dollars. And then the mob was like, oh, how dare you spend this money on an outside firm? And we looked at their website, and most of the people that are at the firm are former law enforcement. pretty amazing that law enforcement would be involved in some sort of an investigatory firm (laughs) so then the city was like okay okay we're sorry we're sorry let's not use let's not use the firm so they scrapped that idea and like we'll investigate ourselves again so they went back to that after the mob pressured them to do so so now they're back to investigating themselves and that's why we have this report now um so first this is again the city attorney brad branham and uh he's going over the uh sort of the timeline from sunday may 31st uh where the protests really started ramping up and not spreading by the way i feel the need to point this out not spreading COVID 19 that did not occur during any of these protests these were all virtuous meetings of uh, of more than 10 people and so because they were virtuous covid-19 did not smite them as it would if you attended some other event like a racetrack outside you go to watch a race down east that's not virtuous covid would kill you and spread all around that community I think there's also a motorcycle rally in South Dakota that was not virtuous, that people are saying spread uh, all sorts of uh, COVID-19. But the subway system in New York City that didn't get cleaned for like four months during the pandemic, that that was virtuous. So that did not apparently smite people. So it's the COVID knows. Anyway, uh, so the the protests begin Sunday, May 31st, and they really start ramping up. uh, And then they kind of peter out by June 6th. During this period, APD requested assistance from numerous officers and personnel agencies uh, beyond itself, as well as the National Guard. Mm -hmm. And I will refer council members to my written report in Appendix B, which gives a specific breakdown of how many officers were provided on each night and where they came from. I can tell you that this number fluctuated uh, from day to day. However, on certain nights, the additional officers numbered uh, over 100 from local agencies, as well as 100 National Guardsmen. Also, during this period, uh, specifically beginning on May 31st, APD made the decision at the command level 
to deploy its crowd control unit. These are specialized officers with training in crowd control tactics. And more importantly, these are the officers that carry the crowd control gear. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. But this is a unit whose numbers can vary. But during the protest timeline, uh, at no point were there more than 36 total crowd control unit officers deployed on any one night. Now, what we determined based upon the information that we derived from our uh, review was that all tactical decisions regarding the increased police response to the protesters were made by APD, mm -hmm. primarily at the command level. Okay. Chief Zach specifically provided information about this increased response to the city manager who was present on the majority of the nights during the protests at APD headquarters. Mm -hmm. And Ms. Campbell then relayed that information to council. Okay. It is important to note that although the decisions were made right. at the APD level, um, that no specific direction was provided to APD uh, from any member of city council <laughs> regarding the increased protest response. <laughs> city manager Campbell made the determination early on that uh, APD would be allowed to make the tactical decisions and that she would allow their law enforcement uh, background and expertise to control the efforts. Uh, she provided one lone direction uh, on that uh, night of May 31st to Chief Zach, which was to take these steps necessary in his judgment to keep the community and the people safe. Beyond that, the tactical decision-making process was made by APD, primarily command staff in this regard. Okay, so uh, I'm not sure if you caught this, but he wants to make it perfectly clear that the city council members are not to blame, <laughs> okay? Which I think this really is the purpose of the report, okay? The purpose of this phase one report, there are three different reports, they're calling them phases, I don't know why, but this first report, internal review of the decision-making uh, process during this one week period, it was not the fault of the Asheville City Council. They want everybody to know that, okay? This is a necessary, a vitally important first step to explain to the idiots that City Council does not direct the police to go fire pepper spray at protesters, okay? Just so we're all clear, <laughs> this is <laughs> this is the necessary first step. Now, in these times, you may need to make a visit to Old Grouch's Military Surplus. I've already been Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. The store is open. COVID can't stop him. He's open Monday through Saturday, and uh, they've got all sorts of uh, medical supplies, first aid kits, a whole expanded line of this stuff now, so you can be prepared, okay, for all kinds of emergencies, from scrapes all the way up to gunshot wounds with step-by-step -step instructions that anybody can follow, including me. Um, he's also got body armor, all kinds. These are made to NATO specifications. Uh, these are for in-store purchase or over-the-phone purchase only, okay? So no online purchases for these items. He has face masks as well made uh, locally by a disabled veteran family. Uh, they make them out of military parachutes, so they are lightweight and they're soft. He's got the old steel gas cans, the pre-banned gas cans, the good ones, basically. And he's got tons of real U.S. military surplus, but of course he does. Uh, he has, for more than three decades, Old Grouch's military surplus on Main Street in downtown Clyde. It's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com. So the city attorney, 
then goes on to describe the type of gear and crowd control munitions that the Asheville City Police Department used, because there seems to be some erroneous opinions about this. Riot gear uh, for APD essentially means the helmets, shields, uh, plastic armor um, that is worn by these officers of the crowd control unit. Uh, these are the only members of APD during the protest who were wearing or utilizing that riot gear. Again, uh, this unit is made up of less than 40 members, and the total number that were deployed on each night varied. In addition to the riot gear, these officers also carry what is called sting balls, and these are hand-thrown devices that, when they connect with the ground, they eject rubber pellets mm-hmm. uh, in a certain radius uh, for the purpose of dispersing crowds. By the way, uh, the allegation here was that the APD was shooting rubber bullets at the protesters. That's what the protesters were alleging. And APD, and you just hear from the city attorney, uh, they don't have rubber bullets. They don't shoot rubber bullets because it's not part of their arsenal. They have sting balls where they throw them on the ground and then these rubber pellets eject out. I don't know better worse than getting hit with a rubber bullet i'm not sure (laughs) i've never been hit by either of them and uh intend to keep it that way in addition they also carry pepper ball launchers these are very similar to paintball guns uh in that they fire a small uh projectile primarily used to fire at the ground Mm -hmm. near protesters to either deter them from entering a certain area or to move them away from a certain area because once the object uh, connects with the ground, it bursts and emits a peppery chemical irritant, similar to pepper spray. Now, beyond this, I will note that some members outside of the crowd control unit also carry pepper ball launchers, but it's limited. Uh, The majority of officers do not carry this. APD, despite some reports that came out early on, does not possess Or did they utilize, during the protest, rubber bullets? It is simply not in the APD arsenal. And regarding uh, any particular use of rubber bullets uh, or uh, beanbags, none of these were utilized by APD officers during the protests. All officers have pre-existing authority per APD policy to use the equipment that they carry. This includes the less than lethal equipment I just mentioned. The lone prerequisite for this is that they receive the final okay from their field commander. So the way this works is that when an officer leaves, if he is part or she is part of the crowd control unit, the ordnance and munitions that they carry, they are permitted to use that in the field once that field commander gives them the go-ahead. These decisions are not made at the command level. All right, so again, everybody, pay attention. The mayor... The city manager, the city council did not order the shooting of uh, sting pellets or pepper spray or anything. Okay, they did not they did not stick the police on you. And the fact that we need a report to tell people this really is indicative of how misguided a lot of these people are. And I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt because there are actually people that do know better that are involved in this mob locally and they uh they're they're misleading their comrades. And this is this is a common tactic by the way among organized and trained protesters. 
right? They exaggerate the police response in order to gain sympathy. That's the purpose. They are engaged in a propaganda campaign. And so, you know, the claim that rubber bullets were being used, it furthers that effort because you get to say the word bullet. I got shot with a rubber bullet, right? And, oh, my God, you got shot by the cops? That's wrong, right? Well, no, you didn't get shot. Now, I don't know. Again, never been hit with these little stink balls or, or sorry, uh, sting balls. At, at first, I thought he did say stink balls. Uh, but sting balls, uh, I don't know what that would feel like, but maybe it is very similar to being hit by a rubber bullet. Maybe people pick up the little pellets on the ground and they're like, oh my gosh, look, they're rubber bullets. That's what they're shooting at us because they don't know anything about firearms. That's possible. Councilman Brian Haynes makes no distinction on the kind of munitions here. Well, that may be factual, but uh, to me, those sting balls sound a whole lot like rubber bullets that they land and, and, and then rubber bullets come out of them. Uh, and if it, if it makes the person feel like they've been shot, uh, then I don't care what you call them. To, that's that's a dangerous weapon. It's is it a dangerous weapon though? No, I don't think it is. If the right, if the, if it's going on the ground, what's the radius spread? I don't know. They, he didn't say. The idea is you 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 throw them on the ground, and then they eject. I suspect there's a reason why this way it it hits you in the legs, not in the face. See, back in the old days, when you wanted to disperse a crowd, you'd have to send a whole bunch of cops in there with uh, sticks and maybe some shields. But basically, you had to go kick some butt, right? You had to go assault people. And over time, people became uh, less enthusiastic about that approach. And so uh, police departments have been adopting less lethal means, right? So this way... You throw these sting balls down on the ground and they, they pop out pellets. They hit people in the, in the legs and the thighs and such. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't maim them, right? That's the point. Same thing with the tear gas and the pepper spray. And so now you've got uh, cities that are looking to ban these types of chemical agents uh, because they're like, oh, you know, that's just wrong. You shouldn't be tear gassing people. I have asthma, man. And so what, you're going to get rid of all of these non-lethal things, and then what are you going to be left with to disperse a crowd, right? And these are the questions, by the way, that the city council never asks. They never ask, like, if we get rid of this stuff, then how do you disperse a crowd? They just assume, again, that if they feed the alligator, they get eaten last. So, okay, we'll, we'll do everything that the radical mob wants us to do. And by the way, these are Marxists in town, in Asheville, they're Marxists. They operate out of a bookstore. Right. There's this the, the same people that run the free needle. It's not even a needle exchange. It's a needle giveaway. Right. These same Marxists. OK, they are temporary anarchists. They are all about overthrowing uh, the government and such uh, and then installing themselves uh, in order to usher in the utopian Marxist uh, uh, collective that they think is attainable here in the city of Asheville and in other places as well. To be fair, uh, they think it's totally attainable. I disagree. I will tell you something that is attainable. The Karcher Mister. It is attainable from General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. It's true. This thing is so awesome. The Karcher Misting System. It's the size of a shop vac, and it um, 
rolls around, it's cordless, and you just spray everything down with the Vital Oxide disinfectant, which is safe for kids, safe for pets, and food contact surfaces. Uh, it uses an all-in-one, hospital-grade, EPA-approved, germicidal disinfectant sanitizer and deodorizer. It kills 99.9% of infection-causing bacteria and viruses. Uh, yes, including coronavirus. Except, of course, at the protests, where that doesn't exist. Um, it also will get rid of mold and mildew and fungus, as well as the H1N1 virus, norovirus, influenza B, E. coli, MRSA. Really, there isn't anything it can't do. Um, it's You don't need to rinse it afterwards. It's non-toxic. It's hypoallergenic, it's odorless, colorless, and 100% biodegradable. So you rent this uh, this device, and you spray down your business or your childcare facility. Uh, maybe you're, you know, you're opening up the church and you want it to be sanitized for the kids. So you do that, and then it's good for a week. And then you just need to wipe down high traffic areas in the meantime. The Karcher Mister. It is at General Equipment Rental in Weaverville, at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. Family owned and operated for three generations. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville, generalrents.com. That's generalrents.com. And think outside your toolbox. So Branham, the city attorney, says on May 31st, they saw the numbers of protesters increase. And APD knew of the violence that was already happening in other cities, right? So they utilized what's called the Shared Resource Agreement. This allowed APD to request outside agency assistance. Following an additional day of protest, a discussion was had between the city manager, the mayor, and Chief Zach regarding the possibility of calling in the National Guard as well. Chief Zach noted during that conversation that he was beginning to see the officers of APD becoming fatigued after multiple nights of crowd control efforts and suggested that uh, additional support may be necessary. Following this conversation, the mayor uh, had a late night uh, conversation with the governor about the possibility of releasing the National Guard troops, which only the governor has the ability to do. Thereafter, the joint emergency response team for the city and county finalized that request, and the next day uh, on June 2nd, uh, 100 National Guard uh, officers were deployed to Asheville, a number that was later reduced to 50 during the process. Now, I, we were able to determine that with regard to other law enforcement personnel, that APD made the unilateral decision to request that particular support. Mm -hmm. uh, Chief Zach, in, in consultation with his command staff, made that decision, um, and the city manager was informed. With regard to the National Guard, again, Chief Zach uh, provided the information, what he was seeing in terms of intelligence and the status of his officers to the mayor and the city manager. And following that conversation, the decision was made to call in the National Guard. Uh, I will note that beyond this particular conversation, no council member, uh, including the mayor, played any role <laughs> in the determination to call in outside law enforcement agency and the loan input provided by the mayor and the manager was the conversation with Chief Zach regarding the possibility of National Guard inclusion. Okay, so once again, got to point out, uh, this is now the third time in his presentation that he said that the Asheville City Council had no role in bringing in outside law enforcement officers. They had no role in any of this. And the only thing the mayor did was um, the National Guard request uh, to the governor, because that's the formal way you have to do it. And uh, it makes you wonder, like, why are they focusing so much on this? 
Some city council members are taking heat from the radicals, from these local leftists and the progressive mommies who raise them. Like they're getting they're they're getting uh, angry letters, well, letters, emails, phone calls. These people have organized massive public comment uh, sessions for at city council where they call in. Now, like this is this is one of the things that becomes very, very easy to do in these COVID times, right? You just sit at home and you have the meeting on the TV and you dial in and you just wait your turn and then you can just go about your night, do whatever you want. And then when they call you, you just pop on, read your prepared speech uh, of three minutes or two minutes, whatever it is, and then and then you hang up and look at me. I'm participating in local government and what it does is it gives this false impression that you have all these people who are, you know, demanding something happen. Now, they're the same people. They call in all the time. And I suspect they would not even go down to a city council meeting, right? Because they, that would require that you be there, that you actually have to sit through the meeting. Most people don't want to do that. So it's much easier to just sit at home, you know, do whatever you're going to do and have the you know, the meeting on in the background and have your phone dialed in when they tell you to. And so then they're like, look at all the people who have called in all reading from a script. Oh, did I say that? Yeah. Well, they kind of are. Uh, well, I mean, they are like there were there were scripts that were circulated by these uh, by these collective folks. Um, so the city attorney then goes into detail about two interactions that occurred between cops and demonstrators during this week. The first was on the Jeff Bowen Bridge, and the second was the medic tent interaction. Okay, so here is, <laughs> I've got the report, and so here's the write-up. Uh, let me see here. First, Sunday, May 31st, protests continue. This is a general timeline. So Friday, May 29, you got a peaceful protest. Saturday, May 30th, you got a peaceful protest. Then Sunday gets violent. Monday is violent. Tuesday is violent. Wednesday is violent. And then Thursday is peaceful, Friday is peaceful, Saturday is peaceful, right? So it runs from a Friday through uh, uh, the following Saturday. So eight total days, right? Nine total nights, I should say. And there were five peaceful and four violent. So largely peaceful, a largely peaceful protest, right? Um, or nights of protest. So the first violent night is Sunday, May 31st. Protests continue and increase substantially in size. Protesters begin marching through downtown and on two separate occasions onto I-240. They go onto an interstate. Um, marching protesters twice breach a line of officers on bikes attempting to prevent their entry onto the interstate. So cops tried to block them, and they they went through the cops. When the crowd begins marching onto the Jeff Bowen Bridge in the direction of West Asheville, and for folks who aren't aware, the Bowen Bridge is, what is it, about 12 lanes wide, something like that? It's massive. There is actually a sidewalk, a covered sidewalk, like a, with the, you know, like the chain link fence kind of deal all along because it crosses the river. It's a pretty lengthy bridge. And so, I, all right, I say there's 12 lanes. It's probably, I don't know what, seven total, six, seven, eight lanes. I forget. Uh, and then you get like all of the, because you've got all of these on ramps and off ramps, it, off ramps. It's just a terribly designed bridge, by the way. 
And so the the traffic on this bridge is always horrendous um, because you got people that are coming off of I-40 and they're trying to uh, merge their way over to get onto I-26 or onto 1923. And you got people that are trying to get to downtown. You got people. It's just it's a terrible intersection and bridge. OK, so these these protesters they decide that they're going to march from the downtown area, the Pack Square area, right in the center of downtown. They're going to march a couple blocks over, and they're going to get on to I-240, a really dangerous stretch of this interstate. And once they get on to 240, they then start walking up towards the bridge, which is a really dangerous stretch of the interstate as well. And so cops tried to stop them. When the crowd starts marching that direction... APD officers respond with crowd control measures, including pepper balls fired in front of the crowd, as well as tear gas and officers with shields and helmets forming a line to prevent access to I-26. Throughout these events, some protesters threw and struck officers with items such as water bottles and other objects. Once protesters leave I-240, additional interactions with the cops occur downtown. More objects are thrown at the officer's lines, including fireworks or similar incendiary devices, and police again utilize tear gas to disperse the crowd. Multiple local police agencies supply officers to assist with crowd control efforts. Police officers, as well as Chief Zach, take a knee with protesters. Yeah, he did that. Our, our Asheville police chief did that. Remember those days at the very beginning when they're like, okay, fine, fine. I, sh- I shall take a knee in front of thee and then you shall cease your demonstrations. No, actually it got worse. The next night, then Chief Zach, along with the city manager, Deborah Campbell and the mayor, Esther Mannheimer, they held a press conference regarding the previous day's protest response. Protests continue into the evening, primarily in the downtown area. On several occasions, some protesters throw objects at officers, including fireworks. Police respond with crowd control measures, including tear gas. And there are several instances of vandalism, including graffiti, broken windows, attempted arson, and a little bit of gunfire just for the heck of it. Assistance is requested from the National Guard. Various local police agencies continue to provide support. So here is how the attorney, the city attorney, Brad Branham, described the uh, the interaction on the Bowen Bridge. On this particular night, the crowd control unit consisted of 23 officers. It was these officers that formed the line on the Jeff Bowen Bridge that confronted the protesters who were advancing along the interstate. In addition to the crowd control unit, there were approximately 10 to 15 uh, bike officers as well. To give you a sense, there are approximately 40 to 45 total APD officers on the bridge um, and approximately two to 300 protesters based upon the best estimates. Now, this was the second time that evening that protesters had entered onto I-240, and it was APD's belief at the time that uh, marching on the interstate uh, resulted in a far more dangerous situation for the demonstrators themselves, for APD officers, as well as passing motorists. And because of this, APD made the determination uh, not just to release the crowd control unit along with the specialized gear that they carry, but as protesters reached the bridge, um, APD made the determination in the field that they needed to remove the protesters uh, as quickly as possible from the interstate. Thereafter, APD utilized pepper balls 
in order to uh, begin dispersing the corral uh, and then utilize tear gas. Uh, we were able to determine through viewing body cam footage that warnings were provided to the crowd in advance of this effort Uh-oh. over a uh, loudspeaker, Mm-mm. a megaphone, uh, specifically warnings to disperse and then warnings about the impending use of, quote, chemical munitions. Both of those were issued prior to the actual use of those things. Okay. This is going to be a bone of contention. The protesters say, we didn't hear any kind of warning. They just fired upon us without any warning. I don't understand these people who think that if you go out and march like this and uh, you start throwing stuff at the cops that they're just going to take it. I don't understand. I do understand. They they are well aware. This is this is the game plan. Okay. They're gas. It, essentially, it's, a, it's one big public gaslighting experiment, right? They go out. They protest. They demonstrate peacefully, and then the bad actors show up, and they infiltrate the protest, right? And then they start chucking stuff at the uh, police officers, and then they get uh, tear gassed. And then they're like, I can't believe they shot tear gas at me. I'm the victim, right? That's the play. Like, this is a, a similar tactic that is employed in cities all over America, which is why, by the way, a lot of people are trying to get out of cities. And if you are one of them, then Rowena Patton can get your household quickly and for more money. She and her all-star powerhouse team, it is what they do. It's their jam. It really is. 333-4483 is the phone number. You can go to the website mountainhomehunt.com. 333-4483. She is the official Homes for Heroes real estate agent in Asheville. It's a national program that gives buyers and sellers 25% back from the Realtor Commissions. Uh, this is uh, available to police officers, firefighters, healthcare professionals, educators, and members of the military, veterans, active duty, and retirees. So... Uh, she's also given back like almost $800,000 to local folks in those five professions. Give her a call, buying or selling the only agent that we called, Rowena Patton, 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com is the website, and then start packing. So this, uh, from the report, Branham does not mention this in his report to the city council, but it's in the written report, that as the crowd moved... Uh, onto the bridge, towards the bridge, some interactions with vehicles occurred on the interstate, despite APD attempts to control traffic. So, right, you have you have vehicles that are driving along the interstate. Now, at this point, it is a 55-mile-an-hour zone, okay? Uh, but it's, it's really curvy. It's hilly. You have pretty poor sight lines in some spots, uh, notably right where they got onto i-240 uh and there are a lot of like okay this interstate never should have been an interstate they ran i-240 like right through downtown in an attempt to get people to get off the interstate and spend some money in downtown you know decades ago when the thought was that that was a good idea that right all of the people driving past these cities would totally stop at the city if they saw it right so let's run the interstate through our downtown and so there what what resulted is like all of these entries uh, entrance ramps and exit ramps that are really close together really short so you got people that are just whipping through on an interstate uh and then you got people that are merging in and trying to get over trying to get off the interstate so it's really dangerous and sure enough there was a minor collision that occurred between a vehicle and an APD officer and protesters. So that, like, 
I can see why that would prompt APD to say, you know what, screw this. You guys are making your way towards that bridge, and that bridge is going to be even worse. So no, you no, we're not going to play this game anymore. Um, so then they issue the verbal warnings, and the protesters say, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. Well, you know what, maybe you didn't hear it. I'm not exactly sure why that's the fault of APD. But Branham says they've got uh, the body cam footage, and the body cam footage shows that they did say it they did they did make these announcements and maybe you guys were chanting and singing and spreading covid sorry covid doesn't spread at these events Uh, but maybe you were chanting and singing and so you didn't hear it is that possible maybe you couldn't hear it because of all the vehicles blaring their horns at you to get out of their way because they got somewhere else to be right and maybe you think they should care about you walking in the street but maybe they just don't you know maybe they don't maybe they just think that you're a spoiled trustafarian you know it's possible i'm just i'm just spitballing here everybody's different so the second interaction then oh by the way they he did reiterate once again that all of the decisions were made at the apd field level so um it was it was not city council okay it was the apd command uh and their field level commanders okay the sound you hear by the way is the oncoming bus that some apd commanders are about to get tossed under okay the second interaction is the so-called medic tent which was in an alley on Patton avenue near pack square which is the center of downtown it's like got the big obelisk although it's shrouded although actually it's not even shrouded anymore they they covered it because it was named after Zebulon Vance who was a racist old governor from Buncombe County and uh so they're like oh I can't look at this obelisk which looks like the Washington Monument that's what it looks like and so they built this scaffolding around it and they hung these black tarps all over it so this way you couldn't see the obelisk uh it basically it was like a big statue condom but then it blew off it blew away uh, yeah, which and now apparently they don't want to pay to replace the tarp. So now it's just scaffolding around the monument. And they're like, yeah, you know, we're just going to leave it like that. It gives the um, it, it sends the message that we're working on it, you know, that we, that it's it's still under consideration about what we're going to do. Do we take this thing down? I mean, the thing is, an I it's an icon for Asheville. I mean, it's it's it looks like the Washington Monument. It's not quite as big. It's probably what, 40, 50 feet high or so. It's pretty big. But it's named after a racist governor. And so it's very problematic and, you know, triggering. So all of the leftists feel the need to uh, to vandalize it repeatedly. So um, here is Brad Branham now going over some of the details of the second interaction with law enforcement at the so-called medic tent. On June the 2nd, two days after the events on the Jeff Bowen Bridge, APD field commanders made Chief Zach aware of the existence of this particular area. However, they did not relay that this station was being utilized as a medic station. In fact, Chief Zach was informed that it was being used as a resupply station for some of the objects that a few members of the demonstrations were throwing at (laughs) officers, such as water bottles and fireworks. In addition, uh, there was information provided to Chief Zach that the area was being used to treat some of the protesters who had been exposed to tear gas and uh, dispersed so that they could rejoin the demonstration lines. There was a request that was made to Chief Zach on this night by the field commanders to be able to remove this facility, and Chief Zach authorized the removal. However, he did not provide any specific direction about the methodology by which this area would be removed. 
what we have all now seen on social media <laughs> were the decisions made at the field commander level about how the crowd control unit would deal with this particular area, right. including the removal of personnel <laughs> and the destruction of the supplies. It is worth noting that it was later determined that medical personnel were present and they were trying to provide medical support to members of the demonstration. The city manager, as well as every member of council, was um, uh, informed or learned about this event only after its occurrence. And in fact, we could find no evidence that anyone outside of APD was aware of the existence of this area prior to the elimination of those supplies. Primarily, council members became aware of this only through social media reports. All right. So once again, council not involved in any of these decisions, everybody. All you radical lefties do not hold us accountable. We did not do this. We were not out there stabbing the water bottles. That's because that's what occurred. That's what that's what outraged everybody <laughs> was that they broke up the water bottles. <laughs> they ripped them open. They ripped open the packages and they started stabbing all the bottles and draining all the water out. <laughs> Everyone lost their minds. How dare you? It's hot out here. We use these. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I just, the people who get so outraged over this stuff, like, they're, it's it just all strikes me as performative. It's theater, you know? They're LARPing, live action role playing. That's what this strikes me as in many cases. Um, now, if you're having a lot of cases of problems on your website, then uh, call my friend Schaefer Smith. Get in contact with Schaefer Smith Design, and he can help you with your website. It's really important, now more than ever. You need your website to turn up in search engine results. You want it to look professional and be user-friendly. And while you do know your business, you might not know a lot about web design and maintenance. But Schaefer Smith does at Schaefer Smith Design. Great design can solve a lot of your website's problems. Professional services, corporate, small business, entrepreneurs, Schaefer Smith can help you with graphics, photos, an online store, search engine optimization, website maintenance and security, logos like mine. He did my logo. Go to SchaeferSmith.com and get the most out of your website. That's SchaeferSmith.com. I think this was also interesting. He, uh, The city attorney did not mention this, but in the report, the written report, Deborah Campbell, who is the city manager, um, she was present nightly at police headquarters for the majority of the protests, and she was updated regularly, but provided no further guidance or direction to the APD other than her original statement to the chief to do what was needed to maintain public safety. Right. She said, look, you're the professional. Do your job. This is why I hired you. Right. Keep me apprised and up to date on what's going on. And I'm going to be at headquarters with you in case you need me. But these are your decisions. Mayor Mannheimer was also present at police headquarters on May 31st to give a live press interview with Deborah Campbell. This interview from the lobby of the building was interrupted by an explosive device thrown at the building from the protesters. Why wasn't that reported? How is this not part of the news stories? That someone threw an explosive device at the mayor's press conference? Largely peaceful. It was a largely peaceful press conference. Except for that one time the explosive device went off. I mean, it could have been <clears throat> a firecracker, obviously. I don't know. Uh, it's, not it's not described anymore or in any other detail. Um, let me see here. Let me skip ahead here because uh, I'm running out of time and I've got audio from city council members and that is always fun. So... Um, 
by the way, I should point out, not a, there was only a single formal complaint that has been filed against APD. They had 57 arrests, 12 reported injuries, two officers. Councilman Brian Haynes, chairman of the council's public safety committee, was not impressed with these uh, with this report. So let me start by saying that I, I have a bit of an issue uh, with this, so much of this being called fact. Um, when uh, when the only folks interviewed were APD and us, uh, <laughs> and I, I, this it, it more, more it should more state uh, APD suggested this or, or said it happened this way, but we don't know that it happened that way unless unless you viewed uh, footage around all this, which I'm sure no one has at this point. Uh, to, to call this entire timeline facts, I, I think, is less than accurate. Um, <laughs> and being that we still have yet to hear from any of the witnesses uh, of, that were protesters on the ground and that have firsthand knowledge of, of, of what they experienced. Right. So we, we need to hear what, what the, the public has to say, which, by the way, are you kidding me? You haven't heard what the public has to say. You haven't been listening to these protesters when they've been writing your e- writing to you on email, right? They've been calling into your city council meetings and stuff. Don't give me that. No, what he's what he's saying is APD is lying. That's what he's saying. He does. This is the chairman of the public safety committee. He doesn't believe his own city attorney's report that interviewed APD. So he doesn't believe like, okay, well, you say this, but I mean, that's I mean, you say that. How am I to know? He went on to criticize the portion uh, in the report about the medic tent. So it, it also seems to me that there, are, there is, uh, though we call this report factual and, and that we're going to make no uh, efforts to say whether or not any of these actions were appropriate, there, there does seem to be efforts, especially around what's said about what happened at the medic tents, to rationalize the actions of these officers. Um, and I don't, I don't feel that that's the place that we should be going with this either. Uh, you know, uh, whether or not uh, in their own minds they can rationalize what they did uh, doesn't take away from the facts, but it, it does sort of distort uh, the information being offered here and, and make it sound as if uh, they were taking appropriate action. Or maybe it's because they were taking appropriate action. What he, it's so interesting. So when the cops tell you, like, this is why we did what we did. What he's saying is, you're lying. You're trying to rationalize what you did. Well, we thought they were resupplying, and honestly, some of them were. Some of them had taken the water bottles from the medic tent, quote-unquote medic tent, and thrown them at cops, right? So that was the information that they were getting. Oh, by the way, also, the medic tent was set up on some private property they didn't have a permit for. City didn't permit that, which is another allegation that the protesters made against the city. They said, uh, you know, we had uh, uh, the city knew about this and the city permitted and the city's like, we didn't permit it. It's private property. And in fact, the property owner called us and said, hey, can you get this thing off of my property? (laughs) I don't want it. So maybe it was appropriate action. And that's why it sounds like the report is rationalizing the actions. I didn't hear it like that, but maybe that's why. Haynes says he's frustrated by how long it's taking to make changes, noting that his committee was told there's going to be another 90 days before the APD internal report is actually completed. If this were to happen again tomorrow, what would we, would we uh, do things differently? Are we prepared to do things differently in a less harmful manner? Uh, because uh, those of us that watch this, uh, 
I don't think that, you know, I, I don't need a, a report to tell me that I think we were inappropriate in many actions that we took. All right. So I, I'm unclear. What, what would be a less harmful manner? What is a less harmful manner? Did anybody get killed out there? Was anybody maimed? Anybody seriously injured? No. So what is a less harmful manner? Like, I, I don't think you get to go out, pick fights, and antagonize into altercations with people and expect it to be harmless and expect to be held harmless. Expect no physical uh, reaction when you engage in physical provocation. I don't think that that's rational. Speaking of rationalizations, Councilman. During this, um, and I think we need to be prepared to act differently uh, today uh, rather than waiting 90 days to decide what's appropriate. Uh, so that uh, the discussion about what, whether or not these tactics were appropriate or actions were appropriate, that needs to continue uh, right now. Uh, the discussions need to go continue, oh be ongoing, and, uh, and 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 we can't just wait uh, for this report because the, the APD's report is is highly unlikely to be uh, extremely <laughs> critical of their own actions, uh, and and it's ultimately it's going to be up to the community and members of council to determine what we feel is appropriate, and um, those discussions need to continue. Uh, just to clarify one point, Brian, Here's the that mayor. you made, uh, do you, are you saying that Brad did not do what we asked him to do and you were expecting something different or that Brad did what we asked, but you would like this, like, like more? I just feel like there's certain aspect, you know, to, to, to describe it, uh, what we was in the timeline and in the report as factual, I don't, the facts are unknown at this point. So I, I don't think we can call it that um so that's i've been looking for a little different wording lay off the uh, weed in, in man is and and maybe some possible editing around uh, where it looks to be rationalizing the actions of the police um and uh, this is why i say Asheville is a case study in long-term drug abuse though, though i i'm not suggesting that uh, that the bad job was done here. I know the intent was to not uh, enter into the appropriateness of the, of the measures. And, and for the most part, I think that's done. But I, I, I do think it, it's uh, there's I can speak to certain levels of uh, certain things that were said in the report that I witnessed personally that I do not feel are factual or, or accurate. Such as? Uh, so uh, I think we need to take a close look at what we have said here in this in this report and, and possibly do some rewording and editing around it. Uh, so, yeah, and I think, Brad, you make clear that the findings you include in this are based on the interviews you conduct with the names you provide. So it's according to the folks that you, you interviewed, and obviously you didn't, you know, there's a lot of people that were know a lot of facts that were not interviewed. I mean, just because we just to remind everyone, we went through this process where we were going to hire a consultant and mm -hmm. it would probably be a much broader and deeper uh, review. Um, it was also going to cost $80,000. So the council decided not to do that. So we, but we did ask Brad to 
conduct this <laughs> review and um, and he did that without hiring any additional help. So I think if we want more, we would probably have to take that step to uh-huh. to hire folks to review the hundreds and hundreds of hours of body cam footage and other material that's available. This is the problem when untrained, unqualified politicians appoint themselves as investigators and then turn around and offload that responsibility to the city attorney, right? (laughs) That's what happened here. Now, if you're investigating a new mattress, stop your investigation. I can give you the full report, and these are the facts. Mattress Man has deals right now. Uh, Their Labor Day sale has been extended, so you can pick up a free box spring with the purchase of the Biltmore mattress. The whole line from Restonic, made in Fayetteville. These are the mattresses at the Biltmore Hotel and Inn. Also, you can pick up a free adjustable base with the purchase of select mattresses. You can pick up a queen-size gel memory foam mattress for just $3.99 and... The triple zero promotion continues. Zero money down, zero payments for 90 days, zero interest for up to two years. The triple zero deal. They've got the 120-day comfort guarantee. They have local five-star delivery service. And they've got uh, four stores in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. Go talk to one of their sleep consultants, and they will help you find the right mattress for you and how you sleep. Experience the difference at Mattress Man, buy local, and sleep better. So really, um, the main takeaway from this report is that the council, the city council, has no responsibility for the police response against the demonstrators, okay? And that's really what we all should take away from this. Council did not sick the fuzz on their voters, Okay, on their base. That that is not what happened here. Okay. Oh, and by the way, if you were at any of the demonstrations, uh, and you know you got abused by cops, and you don't feel uh, secure, and you're too afraid to file a formal complaint, uh, write everything down because they're going to need your testimony at some point for their truth and reconciliation process that's coming down the line. So that's a wrap for this episode. Remember, subscribe to the podcast. Give it a positive review. I appreciate that. And uh, all of the links are in the description of the podcast here. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for your support. We'll talk to you later. And don't break anything while I'm gone. Bye.